It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now... Here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. Really uh, excited today to have, uh, as as we normally do, two wonderful guests to talk about talent, find out all the cool talent of the things that they're doing, how they're managing, um, hopefully get some amazing stories from them. Um, each week, we seem to get uh, some new tidbit, some new bit of wisdom, uh, a great book, whatever it may be, from our guests, uh, and kind of keeping this conversation going around talent. Uh, and this has been one of the things that I've really been uh, passionate about and doing the show now for four or five years, I think, uh, and talking about these stories and having all these great guests on from finding them at different shows, different events, uh, uh, you know, recognizing them as thought leaders, maybe on LinkedIn, wherever it may be, and, and bringing them in to have this great conversation. And so many of their stories have been so important to the listeners and, and to me. I uh, put them into a book called The Power of Company Culture, which talks about what are the best companies doing uh, to have a great company culture and really kind of gives you that roadmap. Uh, if you're interested in checking that book out, you can find it on Amazon or Bowl or wherever you find your books uh, in uh, you know a regular book format, Kindle, or you can get on Audible. So check that out. Um, Talent Talk is here live, everyone, uh, 1 o'clock p.m., Pacific Standard. You actually kind of come in after the fact, and you find us on iTunes, iHeartRadio, and listen to us then. We, however you're finding us, wherever you're listening, we really appreciate it. And a big thank you to everyone who's following the show on a regular basis um, and being a part of uh, the conversation. Before we get to our guests, I want to remind everyone we love to live tweet our uh, show, and so uh, there, uh, Mike. Uh, uh, my producer, Mike, is uh, uh, diligently uh, uh, tweeting the best kind of tidbits, the best things out there that um, uh, will maybe from the show that you might want to you know, respond to, that maybe you want to think about uh, in case you missed part of it, you want to go back and read. But we'd love to have you respond, retweet, uh, you know, comment, let us know what you think, give us any suggestions you have about the show, our guests, uh, or whatever it may be. That's a great place for us to kind of keep that conversation going. All right, uh, my guest today, uh, my first guest will be Mohammed um, uh, Latib, the CEO of CX University. And then we're going to bring after the commercial break Tammy Andres, the VP of HR for a good winning company. And I guess I just found out my producer Mike has taken, taken his tweeting duties and hand them over to our uh, assistant producer Sarah Blake. So uh, good thanks to for making sure we get that uh, live tweeted today. Um, but let's go ahead and bring in uh, Mohammed. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate being here. Well, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, what's important for us to know about you, and 
uh, your you know kind of take on on leadership and talent, and of course, you know, give us a little bit of an understanding of what CX University does. Certainly, and I think, uh, Chris, if I may, let me tell you about CX University and how it came into being, because that itself would give you the storyline for uh, my background and how is it that I gave uh, birth to this organization. Uh, I come out of a fairly Fantastic. long history of academic work. Uh, first, let me check. Are you able to hear my audio? Absolutely. Go for it. Okay. So I, I come out of a, a many years of being an academic as a tenured professor, as a dean, as a vice president, and uh, I have been uh, innovative in terms of uh, bringing technology into our lives with having taken graduate education into the online arena when most people didn't even know about it in 1997. I also co-founded a technology company that provided customer experience feedback services to many major brands such as Kohl's, PMI, Fossil, the World Bank, and a whole host of other brands. And three years ago, I observed that there was a huge gap in the learning and development training area for people to understand the discipline of customer experience because it's fairly new and has become a fairly significant phenomenon over the last five to eight years. And having seen that gap and given my disposition to extend access and reach to not just the U.S. population, but globally, I founded CX University to offer training in the discipline. And we did that uh, after having received endorsement from the only known professional association in the country called this Customer Experience Professionals Association. And then we also took our program and had it reviewed by a college and our program, which is the only one in the world that is now recognized for six college credits if you complete it. Well, it's really fascinating that you're sort of continually weaving in the, some entrepreneurship, some technology, some education. Um, and, and so how, how do you kind of stay grounded in that and not kind of, I guess, get pulled into one or the other. I mean, I think most people might just become more of an entrepreneur or maybe just stay on the academic side. It sounds like you're constantly kind of living in your own, you know, virtual Venn diagram. So how do you do that? Well, you know, I've always straddled the academic world as well as the corporate world as a consultant, as a leadership development professional. I've done leadership development across the globe with major corporations uh, it's been part of my practice, and I've also been a serial entrepreneur. I've opened businesses. I have failed in some cases, and in other cases, I've been rather successful. Uh, and I, uh, frankly, it comes out of my disposition, which is to ensure that education is always relevant. And I believe that relevance comes from having walked the hallways of the business world at the same time as one has walked the hallways of the academic world. Well, that's fantastic. So let's maybe dive in a moment to... Uh talent development, you know, that really covers a wide range of topics. Um, you know, with your work focusing on the area of the customer experience, why is the, this sort of subject important or relevant uh, to talent and learning and, and development, even inside of a community, inside of a business? Well, let's first acknowledge that the talent development and learning and development communities uh, across uh, the corporate uh, uh, landscape has always been supportive of developing people. However, we've seen some fairly significant shifts in our environment, especially over the last five to eight years, and that's with the advent of what I call turbocharged technology that customers are taking advantage of, giving them access to information and knowledge that can no longer be monopolized. Uh, like others, I call this 
the democratization of knowledge and information that has resulted in a whole new landscape of power shift. Customers are much more powerful today than ever in the history of our business or our communities. They are demanding because of their ability to be able to access information and knowledge instantly. And as a result of that ongoing and increasing demand, they're also looking for instant gratification. They are facing pressures on companies to say, if you really want my business, you've got to engage me personally. So personalization is very important. They also have now, now have voice. You know, in the past, you were a customer, and ostensibly we built it, and you will come. Customers are saying, oh, no, no. You're going to build what we want, and so you've got to listen to our voice. And collectively, then, we're seeing a tremendous amount of pressure that's being placed upon companies to respond to the demands of uh, customers. Now, the flip side to that, which is also very important to acknowledge, and that is that the only time you can effectively engage customers so that you can drive business success is to ensure that your employees who are going to be delivering the experience to customers are also fully engaged with their organizations and understand what it means to be interacting with this new demanding set of customers we have in our markets. So with so much going on, I mean, you really kind of covered a lot of really kind of big, important points there. I mean, just the the democratization of information, this sort of, you know, turbocharged technology. I mean, there's so much has changed in such a short period of time. Um, where where should companies think about focusing first? I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of arrows they could fire at a lot of targets. Um, and, and I usually suggest people you know, focus on the biggest one that's the most vital to them first and then work on the, instead of trying to, you know, work on 50 things at one time. But where do you think companies should really put their focus first uh, to try to get caught up or, to, or stay stay on top of, of what you just mentioned? Well, you know, Chris, at the risk of sounding terribly simplistic, let's just understand a fundamental principle of business. You cannot be successful if you don't have paying customers. And so every business has, as part of its agenda, to try and win as many customers as they possibly can, to keep them, to make them advocates of your brand, and to have them really be your ambassadors so that word of mouth spread can be effective, reputation barometers can increase. Now, in order to do all of that, every organization has to pause for a second and ask a very simple question. Are we listening to our customers? And what does it mean to listen to our customers? You know, I, I think of uh, Amazon as a great example where uh, Bezos actually, in his strategy roundtable discussions with his immediate uh, reports, always has an empty chair there. And he invites his team to actually focus on that empty chair and ask a very simple question. So all this stuff we're talking about, let's focus on what is it that customer that's sitting in that chair will share. And so you have people from different perspectives in terms of their discipline and responsibilities have an opportunity to be able to express what they are hearing from customers and how that thought and what they're hearing can be part of the strategic agenda of a company. Uh, the, the relationship is so patently obvious and there's enough evidence supporting the idea that a focus on the customer, which means to make the customer the center of gravity results in significant consequences for organizational performance. 
So, you know, I guess it's, you know, kind of keep it simple there and, and focus on the customer first. Um, I guess there's always that balance, too. I mean, uh, we, we know greater organizations do think about their clients. They do listen to their clients. But I always find it fascinating. There's sort of this equation that we haven't maybe articulated completely that, yes, we should listen to our clients. But at some point, we also want to continue to be innovative because our clients don't always know what they're going to want next. So, is that is that something you ever think about or or deal with or talk about uh, in your circles on, you know, at what point do you do you step away from that and, and try to be innovative? Because you know, I mean, I guess Henry Ford could have gone into the saddle business, and uh, certainly Nokia did an excellent job of listing their clients and went out of almost went out of business. I mean, Kodak went went out of business making film, right? I mean, there's at some point what our customers want and what we should do from innovation standpoint. There's there's a challenge there, right? So how do you deal with that? Of course, there's always, Chris, there's always a challenge about how do you innovate. Now, uh, this is actually my favorite subject. I talk quite a bit about uh, the idea of building a culture of innovation. And I've done a lot of work with uh, fairly significant brands around the idea of transformation of one's culture. Let me share uh, several observations that I've actually shared with a whole host of uh, audiences in my international conference presentations in Africa, Europe, and South America. Uh, and let me run down the list because this is stuff that I think is relevant to anyone that's listening in on your show and to pause for a second and just ask questions around the following. First and foremost, I made reference to the idea that we've got to listen. Listening by itself is such a significant skill that it actually feeds into what I think is an absolute core competence required of all organizations, and that is to have people become empathetic. To understand customers, to listen to the customers, you have to build an empathy capacity. You also have to be courageous, and that means, you know, think about us as kids. When we grew up as kids, what did we do? We didn't get any kind of model or paradigm that guided us. We actually played. We experimented. We learned by doing. Learning by doing has now been formalized in our corporate world as design thinking, and the idea behind that is not only to build a tremendous listening capacity that leads to empathy. It also allows you to be able to fail and fail quickly. It allows you to innovate and build prototypes. And the idea behind this is the recognition that we can fail and it's okay to fail. Now, uh, you know, so, so here I'm suggesting two very critical issues. One, you learn by doing, which is design thinking. The other is you build empathy as a core competence through a powerful listening modality. The sad part about our corporate cultures is that people are scared. They have tremendous fear and then a close cousin to fear is distrust. And so I think in order to build an innovative culture, you've got to build safety scaffolds. You've got to allow people to be able to express themselves. Let me add two more points. This one is my most favorite, and I've seen this borne out in questions I've asked of my audience. One of the biggest impediments in our organizations is that we depend on past routines. And I will tell you, past routines do not work. Just go into an organization and invite people to identify all of the useless policies and procedures that are a source of great impediment to success, and you'll be amazed at the laughter and the discovery. And finally, my third point, my, my fifth point around building a culture of innovation 
is to recognize that to understand customers and to deliver an exemplary experience to customers, it is everybody's business. It's not the CEO's business. It's not the mahogany suite's business. It's even down to the level of the customer-facing employee. And that customer-facing employee is a critical face. But even behind the customer-facing employee, there are people deep in the organization that may or may not recognize that the work they do has consequences. For example, think about how any of your listeners, or you and I for that matter, have received all kinds of bills from our internet provider, from our TV provider, our telephone provider, with billing errors. Now, think about it. When I, have a, when I witness a billing error, it's not awareness of that billing class that's sitting deep in the organization that surfaces for me. It's the brand that becomes tarnished. I think about the brand. And if you recognize this, then you have to admit that if you want to be effective and to create a culture of innovation, you need to decentralize radically. And frankly, if you don't, you know what? If you don't innovate, just look at the cemetery. Kodak, Yahoo, Nokia, uh, Blockbuster, MySpace, Blackberry, recently Sears, Polaroid, Hitachi. These are all global brands that, unfortunately, are choking if they haven't gone to the cemetery yet. Yeah, and you bring up so many good examples there and so many great points. And uh, I'm really was excited to hear you start with listening. I mean, that's one of the areas, it's one of the pillars in, in my book and, and what I see great companies doing, that they know how to listen, listen to their employees, listen to their clients, listen to all the stakeholders involved and be able to, to understand where they're at, maybe have deeper conversations to help them figure out where they can be. And I think that's a part of innovation too, is to help those people dream about how things could be better in the future and not just how can you help me be, you know, how can you fix my, my billing error is one issue. How do we think about eliminating that problem from ever happening again is another way to look at that issue. Um, and, and it really, how organizations interpret that and develop that and, 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 and digest that is, is so different, but we see the best of the best doing it in a really kind of uh, a really fantastic way. So I appreciate you kind of walking us through all of that. It's just a great way to think about innovation. And, and I agree with your observations. We have, uh, we have a Some of the uh, other things that you're sort of thinking of. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm, I'm done. Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> okay. So what are some of the other things that you are, you know, kind of, kind of in front of mind for you right now in, in your work? Well, uh, you know, as I said at the outset, uh, my agenda is to be able to provide the kind of uh, resources we've developed. Uh, there is no doubt that our organizations here in the U.S. are leading the charge to understand this whole new ball game that we are faced with, understand the power of the customer. And so we've built a whole set of best practices. We've built a discipline. We've built formal uh, instruments for us to be able to capture the ethos of the customer that we can then internalize in the organization. And, you know, Chris, uh, if you look at the research and look at the data, it is patently obvious and supported with research that uh, a focus on customers has financial consequences, and it also influences other key performance indicators. Let me cite two examples from Forrester Research, which is a well-known research organization that focuses on customer experience. You know, they, for instance, have clearly indicated 
that the compounded annual growth rate for AT&T by way of comparison was 29.5% higher than Comcast, based, of course, on Forrester's Custom Experience Index. They also have similar data that says Southwest was 6.9% higher in everything it did because of its focus on customers compared to a negative 0.3% change for United Airlines. Uh, And many of your listeners will probably be familiar with recent United Airlines hiccups that has resulted in significant damage to their reputation. Uh, But but these these examples will illustrate why this is such a strategic imperative for companies. Well, you're absolutely right. And and I'm sure when in everything that you're doing and staying on top of it, we, that your clients and those people that are you're involved with in, in the academic circles appreciate all of your your knowledge and your insights. Um, one of the things that we love to ask uh, our guests, and we're, as we're almost running out of time here, is, you know, what um, is there a book that you're reading or one that you typically suggest people check out that maybe is a great resource or a uh, source of inspiration as they're looking to, to make these changes inside their organization? Well, absolutely. One of my favorites that actually focuses on trying to establish a more engaged employee workforce is Daniel Pink's book entitled Drive. I am currently reading his other book called When, and I'm also reading Heath and Heath's book on the power of moments. And in addition to those, I'm also reading several books on appreciative inquiry, which I see as a model that allows us to bring about dramatic change and transformation in organizations, despite the obvious resistance that one would encounter with any kind of change initiative. Well, if there was a bell, I would ring it like five times because you mentioned some really (laughs) great stuff there. Drive is a fantastic book. When we've talked about on the show, I don't know how many times with understanding that our employees may work in different ways and at different times and have their different rhythms. Um, And certainly appreciative inquiry is not something that comes up on the show very often, usually unless I bring it up, which is interesting. Um, And I've had the opportunity to speak at several of their conferences and uh, yeah, I think it, it is the model that uh, we're seeing, and it's sort of that uh, pillar of positivity that we're seeing the best organizations really grab onto. So I'm so happy to hear you suggest that, and I hope our audience will go out there and, and look for those books. Um, Mohammed, how can people find out more about you if they're interested in knowing more about you or CX University? Well, this is a straightforward uh, journey to me, and uh, my organization is simply go to cxuniversity.com and check us out, see what we're all about, look at the programs and offerings we have, and uh, you will also see that we are in, we have customers in well over 95, uh, actually 97 countries around the globe, and uh, we're just uh, very excited and looking forward to some tremendous uh, initiatives in 2020. Well, Mohammed, thank you so much for sharing all of your great insights today. I think we probably could have talked about this for hours, but uh, we're, we're, our time's up here for the show today. Uh, hopefully, we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the fantastic things that you're doing. I'd love to. I'd love to, Chris. I'd appreciate it very much. But I want to leave you with one last thought as a way of capturing everything we've talked about. And I'm going to quote the title of my friend's book, Brian Dennis, who used to be the senior VP of in-store experience at Kohl's department stores. And it's simply this. If the customer's the co-pilot, you're in the wrong seat. And I leave oh, you with, fan- and your audience with that thought. That's fantastic, Mohammed. Thank you so much. We appreciate you being on the show. And I'm going to take a quick commercial break and then come back with my second guest, Tammy Andres. Mm-hmm. 
Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, Mohammed Latib uh, from CX University. His interview can be found on our podcast, which we'll have up in a couple weeks here on iTunes, on iHeartRadio, on Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcast, we are there. Uh, don't forget to visit uh, those uh, different places and subscribe, or wherever you like to listen to your podcast. And, of course, you can always go to TalentTalkRadio.com and subscribe there as well. Uh, we'd love to keep you uh, in the conversation, so don't forget to go to at PeopleG2 on Twitter or use that hashtag TalentTalk and be a part of the conversation. Uh, our uh, associate producer today, Sarah Blake, is actively live tweeting as we go, and she is waiting for all the best stuff. So uh, join, our, join us there as we uh, go ahead and bring in uh, Tammy to the show. Tammy, welcome. Oh, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate that welcome. Well, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself, what's important for our listeners to know about you, and, of course, uh, you know, what does uh, Goodwin and Company do as well? Well, I personally have been in human resources for over 25 years. I've had experience in multiple industries, including retail, government, uh, insurance, brokerage, nonprofit sector, and now most recently the association management. I joined Goodwin in January of 2019, so I've been here a little over six months as the Vice President of Human Resources, and I was brought in to provide them with strategic and transformational HR and business strategies and to work with the staff to assist them in achieving their highest potential. And uh, the company is in a growth mode as well, so I'm assisting with that. And in addition to that, I serve on the Austin Human Resource Management Association Board as their Vice President of Conference the membership chair for the League for Nonprofit Human Capital, and I'm also a contributing member of the Strategic Human Resources Forum here in Austin. Well, you sound busy, and uh, most of our uh, guests, it seems like they have wear a lot of hats and do a lot of things, which I think is why they have so much to share here on the show. Uh, I know you haven't been with Goodwin and Company for that long, um, but maybe you could talk about what you've discovered about their culture and, uh, you know, in, in the early development there and, and the role that you're, you're really seeing HR playing in their, in their future and can change to develop that culture? Sure. The key to a successful organization is really to have a culture base that is, has strongly held and widely shared set of beliefs. I, I, coming from the nonprofit world, I've seen how important that is. And getting that put into place and those being supported by management through strategy and structure is, is so important. When an organization has a strong culture, three things tend to happen. Employees tend to know how 
top management wants them to respond to any situation, so you're setting them up for success. Employees believe that the expected response is a proper one. They feel confident, and that confidence portrays to your clients. And employees know that they will be rewarded for demonstrating the organization's values. That's not always in monetary form. And one of the things that I have found here at Goodwin is the culture has been fantastic. They have done a really good job of doing this through the years, and we have built a great foundation. Um, moving forward, as we look into a growth mode, HR is going to have a vital role in perpetuating uh, that strong culture. And it starts with your recruiting, selecting applicants who will share the organization's beliefs and that will thrive in that culture. So once you define your culture, you want to make sure that you're picking the people that will really thrive in that culture. That's going to help you. We HR is also responsible for developing orientation, training, performance management programs, um, and that they outline and reinforce the organization's core values. And you want to ensure that there are appropriate awards and recognition to go to the employees who truly embody those values. Basically, it's my role to foster a high-performance culture, and there's a lot of ways of doing that, but investing in your people is truly the easiest and best way. Well, that's great. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to make sure I, I asked you today, being an HR expert, and you know, I've had a lot of people that recently um, who are with uh, maybe a company for a long time, and they've they've decided that they're going to go out there, and they're being offered sort of being asked to consider other jobs, and or maybe they've decided to, to make a change. And they're suddenly, you know, in this new world of, of dealing with technology as it relates to the hiring process, where, you know, maybe their last time that they changed a job was 10 or 12 years ago or more. Um, and even though the, the technology may have changed in their position, dealing with technology is certainly a little bit different as an applicant. Um, do you have any advice for job seekers or people sort of, you know, as they're moving into that, sort of the rapid change that we've seen just in how things are, you know, being processed and being done um, on the technology side inside of recruitment? You know, do, are there certain things that maybe you suggest people do or don't do that, that you're seeing? Absolutely. I'm going to go back to the basics and say start out by reading the ad. I am still surprised at the number of resumes I get, and they have absolutely no experience for what we're looking for. I think in this age with technology, it's very easy for people to attach a resume and send without really looking at what they're applying for. So I go back to the basics. Read the ad. Figure out what are they really looking for in a person or in a candidate for a position. Strategically think how you can deliver what they're seeking, and be sure that it's evident in your application, your resume, or even a cover letter if you're going to submit a cover letter. With the technology process, there's a lot of those technologies that are placed to have keywords. They're programmed to look for those keywords, and if they don't find them, you're going to get missed. So I would say, you know, it's really looking at uh, it's a matching game. Find out what their need is and match it with how you can deliver that need. But you've got to make it clear. I've, I've heard many times when I do phone screens, someone is a lot more experienced than what I saw on the resume simply because they didn't put it in the resume. Um, that would be the biggest thing I would say. Just make sure that you are matching what you have to offer with what they need. 
Yeah, and that comes from kind of being strategic. I mean, that goes back to, I remember many years ago, uh, during the the last recession when people were looking for jobs and they're asking for advice. And I remember asking them, are you sending out one resume and one, you know, cover letter to everyone? And they, of course, would say yes. And I'm like, well... You're, you're applying to totally different jobs and totally different companies. You're going to have to, you know, customize those things as much as possible if you want to get a call back. And, you know, they would do that. And, of course, it would it would radically change their outcome. And I think just because technology has been been really inserted in the process at a much higher level, you're right. You need to continue to still read that. You need to make sure that you're, you're, you're answering those things and formulating those things around what they're expecting and what they're looking for. And, and I think you hit on probably the biggest one is, there is algorithms, there, are, there is AI out there doing some of that work, and so they are looking for keywords and terms, and so you better make sure you have that filled in there for that uh, specific job, and of course be a person who actually has the should be applying for that job, which is great advice. Um, well, absolutely. You know, I to I, say additionally, to you need to make sure you complete the process. That's probably the second mm-hmm. thing I would say. In a lot of the technology processes with the software and the AI that has been implemented, there is a reason they want you to complete. So if they're asking you to complete a survey or they're asking you to complete a questionnaire, make sure you complete the entire process because failure to do so could kick you out of the applicant pool as well. Right. Sometimes sometimes they're just engaging actual interest or your ability to complete and follow directions. I mean, Correct. care about what the outcome is we want to know can they follow directions can they yeah can they will they respond in a timely manner things like that we're testing soft skills even though <laughs> the results we could care less about it when it comes back what what about um as you're looking inside of your organization and past organizations that you've worked for what what, what right now is sort of the most important aspects uh for, for leaders uh to have uh maybe it's in your company maybe it's on a broader term uh, than that but where are you seeing kind of the best uh you know attributes for a leader right now i would say transparency um making sure that you know when people especially when you're talking about talent and talent recruitment make sure when you're interviewing that you set those expectations as clear as possible on what you're looking for not only in the performance and what the goals are, but what are your culture expectations? Make sure it's also two-sided. Find out about that candidate as a person. You know, find out what their motives are, what what makes them want to work, so that you can align that and make sure you're getting the right person for the job. You know, talk to them about not just the salary, talk to them about what your company can do for them, the paid time off, if there's continuing ed or tuition reimbursements, you know, flexible scheduling, your benefits package. I see in interviews a lot of times managers get, they're so overwhelmed with workload or they're in a hurry to check things off the list, they need to really remember the reason they're in a manager position. And that's to come back and spend some time thinking about what you want to ask. Be intentional what you're going to ask a candidate and what you're looking for so you can make sure that it's a good fit on both sides. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that's, again, just about communicating and being um, making sure that we are uh, sharing on both ends uh, what we have to offer each other uh, in, those, in those situations. Now, you did a pretty good job of, of talking about what you think a good culture looks like at the beginning of, of the of the show here for your interview. And uh, I'm wondering, though, if you have some advice for companies out that are thinking about 
working on their culture, uh, wanting to improve it, uh, where should they start? What, 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 what kinds of things do you think they should think about? Well, first off, they need to define it. They need to figure out what's important to the company, what's important to the people who are working for them. You know, what do they want to be known for? Not only now, but think about the future. You know, something about your culture is you want it to remain steady. That's not something you can change your goals. You can change, you know, a lot of things about your company. You can change your processes. What you don't want to do is change your core purpose and your values. You want to define them, stick to them, implement them, and then get your people to live them. Listen to your employees and provide them with feedback. Make sure you're closing that feedback loop. Show them that they're heard. Good, bad, or otherwise, you always have to close that feedback loop. But really the, the key is, you know, you've got to start with defining the culture and making sure that you know what, what is it that we want our company to be now and forever. And, and then get that definition and you can work from there. Yeah, and and you really kind of hit on that, you know, the defining it part. I mean, that's kind of sits in the realm of things you would think that people would start with. You think they would, you know, clearly define what it is and what it isn't, uh, so that you know employees can um, decide: is am I aligned with this? Is this what I, you know, do I agree with this? Is this where I want to work? So I want to be long term. And I often think that's maybe a fear that they they're worried if they don't define it correctly that they might lose people. They may not be able to. Re- you know, attract the right talent, and then they sort of leave it maybe a little undefined and a little, you know, wishy-washy, hoping to kind of be all things to all people. But do you, do you agree that it's more important for us to be very intentional, very specific, you know, really as defined as possible for us to get, you know, the, have the best chance at getting A players in the door? Absolutely. That's what the A players are looking for. They're looking for something that's very defined and they're looking to be in a company that fits well with them and their values. And so if you don't have them defined and defined clearly, then they're not going to be able to find you as someone that they're interested in working for. Right. Well, there's been quite a bit of changes uh, in the last uh, you know, last year around legal compliance, especially if you're an employer who you know has offices or employees in different parts of the country. You know, have there been any particular areas where you've been focusing on or have found them to be a challenge or uh, maybe have impacted, you know, your ability to, to find top talent? Um, uh, is there anything that you think people should be thinking about? Absolutely. I know that here in Austin, our unemployment rate has gotten pretty low in the past two years. And so finding good candidates has got a little bit harder. So we have to think outside the box. And I encourage people to think way outside the box. Look at what your company needs and the places that are out there that might be able to fulfill that need. Don't get yourself into the same old situation of going to the same recruiting places, but think of different candidate pools. You know, people with disabilities is a huge untapped market. Internships, if you don't have an intern program, think about implementing an intern program. Um, If you have never worked and your company is able to Look at um, a lot of places have roundtables for offenders entering back into the workplace. So think outside that box. You know, go to your your high schools and your colleges and and recruit from there. Um, There's a lot of untapped resources that people just don't think about utilizing, and I would encourage folks to to reach out and, 
and explore what could work for their company, but don't put anything out of the question. Different places to go, and I, I certainly agree with you. I mean, if you're consistently dipping in with one recruiter or one, you know, staffing firm or whatever, I mean, trying something different, going, uh, you know, somewhere else can sometimes be be really helpful, right? So you get a different pool, a different access point. Um, just kind of changing up what you're doing can really be huge. Um, we know that you do quite a bit, uh, not only with your company, but in different uh, organizations uh, related to HR and leadership. Uh, and I'm wondering if there's a book that maybe you're reading right now or maybe one that you typically suggest that people check out uh, that our listeners might be interested in. Well, there's one that really I recommend to a lot of people. I also am a, a facilitator for Core Strengths, and I've got to say there's a book out there called um, Have a Nice Conflict. If you haven't read it, it's a great read. It's it's a story rather than an instruction manual basis. It's really, um, I think it can align with most anybody, and I'm very passionate about it because I'm very passionate about helping people c- to communicate better. And so for anyone who wants to improve their communication or is curious on how to deal with someone that doesn't communicate so well, it really takes the scariness out of conflict. And you can read through it and realize that conflict is really a good thing and it doesn't have to have that ugly connotation. And it it will help you to see different ways that you can contact and communicate with others that will keep them engaged and have a great, nice conflict for those folks that you typically have a hard time talking with or maybe you're fearful in speaking with. And it's a great, not only for personal, but professional development. So I highly recommend it. Well, that sounds like a great one that people should check out. And uh, we've gotten two great, uh, maybe three great suggestions here today. So um, hopefully people can do that. You know, I want to make sure we ask you the most important question is how can people get a hold of you or find out more about Goodwood and Company if they're interested in working for you or checking out your opportunities. What's the best way for them to get connected and find out more? Uh, the best way is to visit our website at www.goodwintx.com. I'm sorry, what was the last part after Goodwin? TXfortexas.com. TX for Texas. All right. So a big TX there for Texas. We want to make sure everyone heard that correctly. GoodwinTX.com. Tammy, thank you so much for being on today's show. I really appreciate you being here, and I feel like uh, everyone certainly learned a lot from your wisdom, and hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on how you and the company are doing. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I enjoyed it, and hope everyone has a fantastic day. All right, everyone, please join me uh, next week as I'll welcome Mary Fox, the CEO of Marlowe, and Carlos Aurelia, the Director of Human Resources at the Brentwood Country Club. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.